You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Will the real King James please stand up? With that, welcome into another happy and joyous post-game episode of Locked on Rockets, your home for daily podcast commentary on all things Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship in Houston. I lead off with that joke. Yes, it is a joke, because while the Rockets were playing LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers, LeBron James is one of the top two greatest players who ever play the sport of basketball. His crown is well-deserved. But at least for one night at Toyota Center, the best player named James on the hardwood was James Harden of your Houston Rockets, the reigning MVP, who posted now an NBA record fourth 50-point triple-double. No one has ever done that before in a career in NBA history. 50 points, 11 assists, 10 rebounds for James Harden in his 35 minutes, leading the Rockets to a second straight win, and this one a statement victory, 126-111 to over LeBron James and the LA Lakers. The win improved the Rockets to 13-14 and on the season, two straight wins to start off the stretch with 8-11 of at home and coming off the stretch in which they had lost three in a row and 7-9. of For the Lakers, it drops them to 17-11, and so yes, this is a very quality win for the Rockets. LeBron certainly played well, 29 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists, 12 of 18 shooting, but he was only the second best player named James on the floor because of Harden's now NBA record-setting fourth 50-point triple-double of his career. And what's most noteworthy about it for Harden is not just the cumulative nature of these statistics, but how he led the Rockets to a win that really seems kind of teetering on the brink midway through the fourth quarter when under eight minutes to go, the Rockets were trailing by two, 199, and it felt like the game could be on the verge of getting away from them like so many others had this season. So to me, that's the angle that's by far the biggest takeaway from this 126-111 to 111 win that the Rockets posted over the Lakers on national TV and all the spotlight that comes with that. Yes, it's nice to get a win over a really good opponent with the entire country, and in many cases, the world watching. But for the Rockets, it's not just that they won, it's how they won. Because a recurring theme for this squad throughout the season has been their inability to execute. And in clutch situations, I should say. Because a year ago, with Chris Paul and James Harden, the first year of the partnership, they were breathtaking. Their numbers in clutch situations defined by the league as within five points in the final five minutes, they were incredible to start this season, and really it culminated with that third and final game of the 0-3 road trip in Dallas last weekend. They haven't been. That was the game in Dallas that the Rockets blew an eight-point lead with under three minutes to go, and Chris Paul went 0-2 from the line, Harden airballed a three, Gordon missed two tying threes, attempts at them in the final 30 seconds of the game, and when that game finished, the Rockets were 2-4 and four in games decided by five points or less. They were 12-4 and four in those situations a year ago. Now, because the Rockets won this one by 15, ultimately it won't be defined as a clutch win. But again, when you're trailing by two with under eight minutes to go, and when you're starting 12 and 14, which the Rockets, unfortunately, that's their position entering this game, well, you'll take the win, even if it ultimately ends up being not clutch, as 
a 15-point lead and a 15-point victory would make it defined by the official statistic. And that, more than the opponent, is what makes this win feel so good to me. I'm not going to say the Rockets are back because, look, they're still below 500 and we're basically a third of the way through the season at 27 games out of 82. So the Rockets, by all intents and purposes, this is an underachieving basketball team. And two consecutive wins at home while they're over quality opponents in Portland and the Lakers, it doesn't change the broader narrative of the season. The Rockets are going to have to have a much more sustained run than two feel-good wins at home to get to where they want to be not even close to the 65-win juggernaut they were a year ago, just to get back into the top eight and in position to earn a playoff berth in the Western Conference, and then we'll see what happens from there. There's a long way the Rockets still have to go. But we've talked a lot this season about their personnel deficiencies, certainly the depth, which Daryl Morey knows he needs to address. Maybe the defense, after losing Trevor Ariza and Luke Bamute, the only real three and D option they brought in the offseason was James Ennis, and now he's down with the second hamstring strain in less than two months. So now whatever 3 and D need there was in terms of adding more defense to a squad that's still bottom 10 in the league, that's even more pronounced with Ennis having a recurring hamstring issue. So the issues that were there and have been there from a roster composition standpoint, those are still there. And that's on Gerald Morey and the Rockets organizationally to figure out. But what's most troubling to me, and you probably sensed it if you listened to this podcast after the Dallas game, was that on top of the personnel issues, there was a sense that the Rockets were in their own heads. Because even the things that they should be able to control, for example, Chris Paul and James Harden down the stretch in close games, they weren't controlling those either. We mentioned two and four in clutch situations this year and a bottom five offense by any metric as compared to top five by any metric and 12 and four in those situations a year ago. Tim McMahon of ESPN said it well when the Rockets were up by only five with 4.57 to go. The clutch net ratings this year, the Lakers led by LeBron James entering tonight, plus 23.7, the Rockets minus 20. So just a staggering difference between the two teams. The Lakers are a team that has executed when it's mattered. That's why even though their differential wouldn't tell you they should be 17-10 and 10 entering tonight, lo and behold, they were. And yes, LeBron James is one of the two greatest players ever to play the sport has a role in being able to steal games late. And you would think the Rockets, led by the reigning MVP of the league in James Harden and another top 10 player when he's right in Chris Paul and a certain Hall of Famer, both of them, Paul and Harden for that matter, lock Hall of Famers, you would think that they would be able to steal games too. Well, that hadn't happened. And so you combine the roster issues with the inability to execute late in close situations. And that's when it gets really, really troubling. And for the Rockets to win this game, it's not just that James Harden had a 50-point triple-double. He shot 14 of 26 from the field, 4 of 12 from three, 18 of 19 from the free throw line. So yes, he attacked the rim. He got fouled. What's kind of amazing, he shot just 33%, which is okay, but below his norm, from three, yet he was 10 of 14 from inside the arc and got to the line 19 times and was uber efficient, making 18 of those. So really, he was overall just a fantastic player, even though the threes weren't really falling other than a pair in the fourth quarter when the Rockets really needed them, including a step back on LeBron James, the ultimate hashtag King James moment, but for Harden in this case. Other than that, it wasn't like he was just hot. No, he just methodically took apart the Lakers' defense, and that's what you want to see, and he was brilliant, and he played like the reigning MVP, which he is. But what made me feel best about it was the way he executed in the fourth quarter. mentioned the two step-back threes he had. He also got fouled on the three, made all of his free throws. Overall, 15 of the Rockets' final 17 points scored by James Harden 
17 of his 50 points scored in the final, I believe, seven-plus minutes of that game. And again, the Lakers had gotten a two-point lead with under eight minutes to go. So this could have been another loss, just like so many for the Rockets throughout this season. James Harden didn't let it happen. And again, I'm not going to say that just because they beat a good Laker team that they're back. James Harden certainly was not alone in this. I'm leading with him in our three points recap. We'll move on to other subjects throughout, including certainly Clint Capella, 16 and 14 at Team Best, plus 21. The hashtag greenhouse effect off the bench. Daniel House, plus 18 in his 29 minutes, 15 points. Gerald Green also made a pair of threes in his 16 minutes, combined 21 points between House and Green, including two big back to back threes after the Lakers had taken that two-point lead with under eight minutes to go. So the bench for a second straight night showed you some signs. That's been a weakness all season long. Clint Capella in the middle against JaVale McGee, a big double-double, 16 and 14, a team best, plus 21. Chris Paul, 14 points, nine assists. He still didn't have his stroke, three of 10, but he did make three of his four threes, which is a big step in the right direction, and five of his six free throws. Also had nine assists to two turnovers. Yes, it was a team win for the Rockets, but when the reigning MVP has a 50-point triple-double, the fourth in his career and the first player in NBA history ever to accomplish that feat, then yes, you have to leave with James Harden and more than just about James individually. It's the way that he put his fingerprints on the game. Again, a stretch in which he scored 15 of 17 points for the Rockets in the fourth quarter. The fact that he delivered 17 in that final frame and was able to get the Rockets to the finish line despite it looking like so many others where the Rockets might wilt late when it was there for the taking and against one of the all-time greats in LeBron James. That's a heck of a starting point for the Rockets. I'm not going to say they're fixed. Now, they did get Brandon Knight back tonight, although he was scoreless in four minutes. It's going to be a long road back for Brandon after not playing in over a year and a half. But the roster composition issues for the Rockets, they're still there. That's a work in progress. But if they have the James Harden from a year ago, especially in clutch moments, and if he has support from Chris Paul, who had a triple-double in his last game, and tonight, 14 points, nine assists, three or four from three, just two turnovers. That's enough for the Rockets to steal enough games, in my opinion, to keep them afloat. It's not going to fix the problems. That's on Daryl Morey. But what's fatal for the Rockets is, is if they have all of the roster composition issues and they're losing the close games, which happened far too much over the first six weeks of this season. For the Rockets to be able to steal a close game against a quality opponent like the Lakers, it's not the cure-all. It doesn't indicate that the Rockets, now 13-14, and 14, even with this two-game winning streak, are back, but what it does tell you is that there's hope. It's something that can keep them afloat until Gerald Morey can fortify the depth and the other issues. Defensively, they're still a bottom 10 team. They got up 111 points tonight. Yes, I'm aware of all of those things, but if they have this version of James Harden and this version of Chris Paul, that should be enough to buy time until whenever Gerald Morey can get the big deal, be it as early as Saturday when December 15th gets here and unofficial opening day of of trading season in the NBA. Maybe it's as soon as that. Maybe it takes until February. We'll have to wait and see. Some of it's out of the Rockets' hands. For example, the target they've been rumored in the last couple of days has been actually Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who played for the Lakers tonight because the Lakers are trying to get Trevor Ariza and Caldwell-Pope's $12 million a year salary would have to go. Well, if that happens sooner rather than later, if the Rockets want to move on KCP, they would have to do it fairly quickly. So, it could happen as soon as this weekend. It might take until February. But regardless, the Rockets do have moves they need to make from a depth perspective, from a defense perspective. But the key is, can the Rockets stay in striking distance until they fortify that squad to get it 
to where, as Daryl Morey has said throughout this entire process, it's about having the best roster on April 15th. Well, yeah, that's all fine and good as long as you stay afloat and in the playoff picture, let alone the one seed like they were last year. Just make sure you stay in the playoffs. Well, finally, it feels like the Rockets have some traction, and step one to that is taking care of close games, getting some swing ones to go your way. Well, if you want to do that, it starts with your MVP in James Harden and your other top 10 guy in Chris Paul, and for two games in a row against quality opponents, that's what the Rockets have done. So kudos to the Rockets. They're not back, but led by James Harden, the 50-point triple-double with 17 in the fourth quarter. It's a big, ginormous step in the right, right direction, especially from the standpoint of clutch production. Now, jumping back into the program, our recap of Thursday night's 126-111 win by the Rockets over the Lakers at Toyota Center. Our opening segment was all about the crunch time execution, which James Harden did in a number of different ways. He went on a stretch in which he scored 15 of 17 points for the Rockets in his 50-point triple-double. He did it on the drive. He did it on step-back threes. He had assists, 11 for the game. James, 50 points, 11 assists, 10 rebounds, plus 14. He was fabulous. He was incredible, but he certainly was not alone in this game. We mentioned the supporting cast, Clint Capella, 16 and 14, a team best plus 21 in his 35 minutes. Daniel House off the bench, 15 points, five of eight from the field, three of five from three, including a big one in the fourth quarter. Same for Gerald Green, who had just 16 or had just six points, but 21 points combined between Green and House, including two back to back in the fourth quarter when the Lakers had taken a two point lead. That is ginormous. And to me, that is such an important sign to see, especially with the promotion of Eric Gordon to the starting lineup. And Eric played pretty well, 13 points, 6-11 from the field, just 1-4 of four from 3. But ever since being inserted to the starting lineup, he hasn't really hit his threes, but he's been pretty good attacking the rim, even against two teams that are pretty big in the Blazers and the Lakers. So even though his threes aren't falling, that's something he needs to get a lot better at. It's not like someone that, like Eric Gordon at 29 years old typically falls off a cliff because they forget how to shoot threes. No, that's random, and eventually that should come around. The fact that he looks so springy and that he is converting on the drive, ultimately that encourages me that it's not a matter of aging. It's not like he's hurt. No, he's the same guy. He can do the things that he's done over the balance of his first two seasons when he was very good in Houston. It's just a matter of waiting for the three-point shots to fall and that to revert back to the mean. And when that does, then yes, he is still a very good player. But when you switch him from the six-man role to the starting lineup, and that was even before the Rockets lost James Ennis. It was a tactical move. Then in the first game of that experiment, the Rockets lost James Ennis off the bench. Well, what you worry about is that a bench that has been near the bottom of the league all year long and scoring and so many other metrics, well, now you're taking away a guy in Eric Gordon who was the sixth man of the year two years ago, and last year was a finalist, one of the top three six men in the league, as defined by the league's award voters. Well, then what's going to happen to your bench? And Nene, for a second straight night, was quality, 6.7 rebounds. He was ejected after just 13 minutes, which I thought was far too quick of a hook, but that's neither here nor there. If I get started officiating, y'all know me. I'll go on for hours. I'm not going to get into that. What you have to look at is the other three guys, Daniel House, Gerald Green, and Brandon Knight. And Brandon Knight, as mentioned, this was his first game back after missing a year and a half, first towards ACL before last season, and then didn't make his debut until tonight because he had an infection in that surgically repaired knee this offseason, which delayed his recovery until now. The Rockets were thinking he wouldn't return until next week. He ended up returning tonight because of the James Ennis injury, which compromised the Rockets' rotation. And even though Knight played just four minutes, he didn't score, missed both of his shots, did have a rebound and an assist. 
when you're looking at a guy who's missed more than a year and a half, it's not like all of a sudden you're just going to put him back and he's going to be what he was, a 20 points per game and five assists per game player like he was in his prime. Even though he's just 26 years old and the Rockets have high, hope for him, high hopes for him, it's going to be a process. It's little by little, five, ten minutes at a time, and hopefully, especially if the Rockets are able to get a bigger lead, which they weren't in this when they won by 15, but ultimately it was very close. The Rockets just poured it on very late in the game. That's maybe some time that you can let Knight knock off the rust. There really wasn't that time in the second half, given how close it was today. But factoring in a Brandon Knight that's basically still rehabbing, but at the NBA level because of the Ennis injury, the absence of Ennis, who you thought could provide you some energy on that second unit, and then a bench that's been bad all season long. Now, yes, they've got Dene back. He was big on Tuesday. And he was pretty good tonight, but he got ejected early. It could have been really, really bad. And that's a stretch where the Rockets have gotten crushed all year long, late in the first, early in the second quarters, late in the third, early in the fourth quarters. Daniel House and Gerald Green did not let it happen. And I'm not ready to say, even though they made a combined 7 of 13 above 50% tonight, 21 points. Daniel House, other than Clint Capella, his plus 18 was the best plus minus of anyone on the floor for the Rockets in his 29 minutes. He was very impactful. I'm not willing to say that Gerald Green and Daniel House, these past two games in which they've been terrific against the Blazers and the Lakers, are going to outweigh the the totality of the evidence, which is that they've been hit or miss, and to some degree, based on whether they're hitting threes, tonight they were combined five of nine, and role players do typically play better at home. I'm not going to say all of a sudden that I believe that these are just core bench players. What I do believe is that they bring the right mentality. And for all the upside of Gary Clark and Isaiah Hartenstein, two rookies that have played a lot of the bench minutes for the Rockets this year, especially with the injuries and then the various situations going on with Carmelo Anthony and Michael Carter-Williams, the Rockets have had to lean on those rookies. And there's some skills that they like, but they're rookies. They're not seasoned. And... I don't know if they're afraid of the moment. I think that's too much to say, especially in Gary Clark's case. We saw what he did against the Warriors on national TV, hitting three three pointers a few weeks back. But I don't know that they necessarily embrace the moment the way Gerald Green and Daniel House do. Hashtag Greenhouse Effect, which is starting to take hold on Twitter. I really like it. It's not that they're the best players on the court, but they do not give a bleep. That's something I said about Gerald the other day. It's kind of his defining characteristic as an NBA role player. And I think there's something similar to be said for Daniel House. House's locker is right next to Gerald in the Rockets locker room. You can see them talking a lot. They seem to get along very well. And I think it's not a coincidence because they have very similar approaches to the game and maybe even to life. They aren't worried about the noise. They just go out there and play. And whether they're up 20, they're down 20, or anything in between, their approach doesn't change. And in Mike D'Antoni's system where he wants you to pull the trigger, that constant aggression can pay dividends. And while it's not going to be as smooth as it's been the last two games every night, at the same time, just the fact that they're willing to be that aggressive to some degree with that second unit, especially if the Rockets are going to push the pace a little bit, which they have started doing a bit more of late, led by Chris Paul, then maybe you don't go through the drought you did early in the season in terms of bench performance, because if nothing else, even if the threes aren't falling, you can beat teams up and down the court and get some easier buckets that way. But generally speaking, it's about setting the right tone. And with rookies, if it's not going well for Gary Clark or Isaiah Hartenstein, it's not a knock on them, but guys who haven't been there, done that, and are very just young, not just in NBA years, but in life years, it's easy to accept that things aren't your night. 
And that can set a tone that kind of permeates to the other guys that are on the court. Whereas Gerald Green and Daniel House, House, a fairly recent call-up, Green, who's been a little bit inconsistent with a shot this year, but also had an injury when the Rockets went on that four-game losing streak a couple of weeks ago. They bring the right attitude. And with Gerald, too, I think even when he has played to start the year, he hasn't always been as energetic defensively as he could be. I think sometimes that when his shot doesn't fall, he sulks a bit on the other end because he feels bad about what he's not contributing on offense. Whereas it feels like when he and House play together, it feels like they almost egg each other on. I said the other night that there's kind of like a dog vibe with with those two. And of course, it's great individually, but collectively, they almost spur the other on. You can see the chemistry that they have together. And even if Gerald is not hitting his threes in a given night, if he provides you the defense that he has against the Lakers and the Blazers, that's enough to provide at least quality minutes. And it's not going to solve it because especially with Eric Gordon now starting, the Rockets don't really have that prototypical six man. I don't think anyone is even close to saying, let alone me, that the Rockets all of a sudden have a good bench now. No, they don't. They need more depth. They need to make roster moves. You don't get to 13 and 14 just because of mentality, just because you lost a few close games. No, if you're 13 and 14, a team that won 65 a year ago and had expectations of being a contender, there's a lot of different things wrong. But the Rockets, to get where they need to go, before you talk about upgrades, before you talk about the things that Gerald Morey can control, you first need to control your own business. And the Rockets have not done nearly well enough at that this season. It starts with James Harden, and certainly I think his performance down the stretch was imperative in the Rockets being able to steal a game. Maybe steal isn't the right term because the Rockets did lead by a small margin for most of it, but they were down two in the fourth quarter. It could have gone either way. LeBron James playing well. James Harden set the right tone in clutch play, reversing the trend that had been against the Rockets the majority of this season. Well, another trend that's been against the Rockets this season has been subpar bench play, yet for a second consecutive game, it was in the Rockets' favor. Now, I don't know that you can expect, again, above 50% shooting, above 50% from three. That's an awful lot to ask from Gerald Green and Daniel House. I don't think that's going to continue. But what this does is buy time. Even if they don't shoot that well, if they continue to run the floor and cut as hard as they have been, that's going to give you buckets so that you don't have a nine-point total bench showing like you did a couple of weeks ago in Washington when you still lost in overtime. If you had had 11 bench points in that game, you would have won. That's just one bucket here or there could have made the difference, yet they couldn't. So no, it's not like you're asking House and Green to do this every night. No, you just need some consistency of standard to where you're not off the charts bad. Just be good enough to keep the team afloat. And even if the threes aren't falling like they were tonight, again, combine five of nine, if they play with that level of motor, you're going to be fine. And ultimately, Brandon Knight should get better. I mentioned he didn't score tonight, just four minutes. He's going to get better as the days and weeks progress. It's a process for him after not playing NBA basketball in over a year and a half. But this is a guy who averaged 20 and five per game in the NBA, and he's just 26 years old. He's got talent. And of course, Joe Morey has tools at his disposal. He can make trades, especially this Saturday when the trade season kicks off. He'll have a lot of options around the league, or at least he should. He's also got most of the mid-level exception ready for buyout season. So the Rockets can get better. Brandon Knight will get better. They've got things they can do on the trade market, on the buyout market. All they need to do now is stay afloat. And that's what's put the Rockets in such a bad spot. It's not just the personnel issues. That's part of it. But the games that have been there for the taking, just one or two swing shots, swing possessions away, they haven't been able to make them. I would say one thing that stood out of of late, certainly the Dallas game, has been the lack of execution in key moments. And that goes to Chris Paul 
and James Harden. That's their role as Hall of Famers to take care of. But before that, the four-game losing streak, a lot of it came down to just how bad the bench was. And to see back-to-back games with Cheryl Green and Daniel House playing the way they have a combined 21 points tonight, both positive plus-minus figures, Daniel House, after Capella, the second best of the Rockets team at plus 18, both 50% or better from three. I don't think that's reasonable to expect every night, obviously, but if you get even a fraction of that level of energy, they seem to play well together and bring out the best of one another, then it keeps you from sinking to the depths at which you were when you were at your worst, and ultimately that can be the difference in stealing a game for the Rockets that might otherwise go the other direction. And that's what I keep going back to. Yes, the Rockets are 13 and 14, but I think if you had just taken two or three games that were there for the taking and imagine that you were, say... 16 and 11, or 15 and 12 instead of 13 and 14. You still wouldn't be where you want to be, but you'd feel pretty good that you were one tweak away and that Gerald Morey could get you the help you need, especially with a Western Conference with this much parity. We talked about that the other night, how really between 1 through 14, all it takes is a couple of weeks of good play and you could move your way up or the other direction if you have a couple of weeks of bad play all the way down the standings. is what we've seen with Portland the last couple of weeks. The Rockets aren't fixed. They aren't a finished product. The issues in terms of depth, defense, personnel, they're real. But if not for just a perfect storm of circumstances, not executing in clutch moments, and the bench not just being below average, but somehow just the worst in the league, the Rockets would be in a position, again, 16 and 11, 15 and 12, somewhere where you'd be pretty disappointed, but ultimately not feeling that bad. Well, all of a sudden, if What we've seen the last two games in terms of James Harden and Chris Paul delivering in close moments in the fourth quarter and the bench led by Nene, Gerald Green, Daniel House delivering, I don't know that you can expect this level of production every game, but if you get even a fraction of that, it can keep you from sinking to the depths at which you were earlier this season, and that can be the ticket to buying time until Gerald Morey can make the moves depth-wise, defense-wise, however you want to look at it, to get the Rockets to where they need to be. Final point of our three points recap as we break down Thursday night's big 126 to 111 win by the Rockets over the Lakers at Toyota Center. It's the second consecutive win by the Rockets over a marquee opponent. The Lakers, LeBron James, I mentioned his stat line, 29 points, 12 of 18 from the field, one of the two greatest players of all time, clearly. Even Lance Stevenson playing well, 17 off the bench, 3 of 5 from behind the arc. Kyle Kuzma, 24 points, 8 of 17. The Lakers played pretty well collectively, shooting nearly 54% from the field. Now, the Rockets, despite being outshot, they did shoot 44% from three, and their energy was infectious. Mentioned Clint Capella leading the way with his 14 rebounds. James Harden with 10 as part of his 50-point triple-double. Again, setting an NBA record with the fourth of his career. Rockets out-rebounded them 43-31. to And even though the defensive rebounding has been something the Rockets have not been good at this season, we've talked about it a lot, well, the Rockets' energy was where it needed to be. And I think it comes from, you know, clearly James Harden setting the right tone, but also those bench guys, Drill Green, Daniel House. When you see your teammates flying around the floor like they are, then it's all the easier for everyone else to fall in line. And certainly in an A at 36 years old, to see that guy getting seven rebounds in just 13 minutes, yeah, that sets a heck of a tone for the rest of the roster. And then you couple that with James Harden having 10. Chris Paul had double-figure double rebounds in his triple-double on Tuesday in the win over Portland. So uh, that sets the right example in, in a number of ways. But what really stands out to me for the Rockets, beyond just these 
statistical figures for not just the players, but certainly the team as a whole, is the fact that this is a second consecutive win over a quality team. And that's a narrative that, to me, has been very overdone, at least of late, on Rockets Twitter and some of the blogs that I read. And I think it traces back to you had three straight games at Minnesota, at Utah. Those are two teams you played in the playoffs a year ago. And then at Dallas, not a playoff team a year ago, but with Luka Doncic, it feels like they're a team that is certainly good at the moment. And maybe with Luka leading the way, possibly even a playoff team this year. And between the inability to perform in the clutch and then losing on the road against either a hated rival in the Mavs or two teams who played five-game playoff series against a year ago in the Jazz and the Timberwolves, it feels like there's been a narrative building that the Rockets don't execute against good teams. And that's very recency bias, I would say. Yes, in December, it's been that way. The two-game winning streak to start the month They beat the Spurs by 30 in San Antonio when the Spurs were getting blown out by everybody. Then they beat the Bulls by nearly 20 the next night, and the Bulls are just a bad team. Yes, that's true. But if you go back to November, when the Rockets won five in a row and eight of 10, they weren't piling up wins against bad teams. They were beating really good opponents. Indiana, at Denver, Golden State, Detroit, even Sacramento, which now is a winning record and is a playoff team at the moment in the Western Conference. Those are quality opponents, and the Rockets weren't just beating them. In case the Warriors, they were up by... 33 midway through the fourth quarter. So, no, I don't believe the narrative which has been put out there that, well, the Rockets are paper tigers and when they play good opponents, they're going to fold. No, we have seen the Rockets have legitimately high highs. And this week is evidence of that, beating two good teams in Portland and the Lakers. Yes, they're at home, but we've seen the Rockets succeed on the road as well. Go back to that Denver game, which I was mentioning earlier. The Rockets, to start the year, you know, they were 1-5, and and that was with, I believe four of the six at home. They've beaten the Lakers twice now, including the first one, which could have gone either way in Staples Center. And that was, of course, the Rondo-Chris Paul fighting game. Rondo and Brandon Ingram did not even make the trip to Houston tonight. They have their own injury issues to deal with, so there wasn't a rematch on that front. But the Rockets, they've beaten the Lakers, a good team, 17-11. and The Lakers are 17-9 and against the rest of the league. They're 0-2 against the Rockets. So the Rockets, despite the narrative that I think is out there recently, they don't have a problem from the standpoint of, well, they can beat bad teams, but not good ones. No, they have a problem with inconsistency. And that's frustrating when you go from winning five games in a row to losing four games in a row, from winning two games in a row against the Spurs and the Bulls by nearly 25 points per game to then losing the next three on the road. It's frustrating, but ultimately, the fact that the Rockets' highs have been as high as they've been, it gives me hope. Because what that tells you is that it's not a personnel issue. It's not that, well, when the Rockets play a really talented or really disciplined team, they're in a lot of trouble. That's not what the records suggest. The Rockets, certainly this week against the Blazers and the Lakers, but even before that, they have beaten some very good NBA teams. They have executed even when it's been really hard. It's just been very inconsistent. And to some degree, you can trace it back to injuries. Some of it can go to depth, some of it can just go to randomness, the clutch factors, the bench we discussed earlier. It's not one or or two things, it's just the perfect storm, a lot of circumstances. But ultimately, if it were the fact that the Rockets just were consistently getting blown off the ball and not competing against better opponents, that would be more troubling, because that would suggest that, hey, the Rockets, they just don't have enough pieces. We've seen enough this year from the Rockets, their highs are still pretty damn high. They have the pieces, and there are moments where they look legitimately breathtaking. It's just a matter of it being more consistent. 
And there are a lot of things they need for that. I think certainly some of them internal. They need to be better in clutch moments. They don't need to be as mentally fragile. We've talked about that before. They could use some more depth. Certainly, Gerald Morey has some work to do. He whiffed on Michael Carter-Williams and Carmelo Anthony. Again, it's a perfect storm of circumstances that have gotten the Rockets to this underachieving point, 13 and 14, even though they've won two in a row, still below 500 a third of the way through the season. But the fact that they are able to beat good teams, like the Blazers and the Lakers, that's encouraging because it tells you that somewhere in there, there's still that team that won 65 games a year ago. It's certainly nowhere near as consistent as that, but there is something to build on. And that's why combining that with the parity of the Western Conference, I'm not giving up on this. I think that there's a heck of a lot that the Rockets still can attain. And when you see them play this kind of game on that kind of stage against a Lakers team that, by the way, outside of playing the Rockets, again, is 17-9 and this season, winning basically two-thirds of their game, it reminds you that, yes, the upside is there for the Rockets. I know it's frustrating to see the Rockets bounce back and forth between the extremes, but you would much rather, in the grand scheme, have a team that shows you this level of upside to be able to play this well than you would the reverse, which is a team that certainly might be more consistent and maybe less frustrating, but ultimately can't compete against the league's best. No, we've seen a lot of moments this year the Rockets can compete against the league's best still. It's a matter of finding that on a more consistent basis. It's frustrating, but ultimately games like Thursday's 126-111 win over the Lakers, they remind you why this team is still worth investing in, certainly emotionally, but financially for Tillman Fertitta as well. That's why this team is worth paying the luxury tax for and worth trying to salvage this season. As disappointing as it is, yeah, there's still a lot to play for because this is a very, very talented basketball team, even if it's just 13 and 14. So on that mixed message, this is where we will leave off tonight's episode. Again, the happy 126-111 recap of the win over the Lakers posted by the Rockets at Tudor Center. If you want more content before our next episode, the best place to get it is on Twitter. I am on there at Ben Dubose. The show is on there at Lockdown Rockets. But on Twitter, we've also got a Facebook account, facebook.com slash Rockets, a website, LockedInRockets.com, and an email address, LockedInRockets at gmail.com. All those ways you can access our prior content, ask me questions about the team, make suggestions for the show, advertising inquiries, pretty much anything we can do to make this a better podcast for you, the diehard Rockets fan, or even you, the human being. Don't hesitate to reach out and let us know. Also, if you have not subscribed already, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, the odds are you can find us because as part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, local experts across the NBA, NFL, including the Crosstown Houston Texans, and even some MLB and college sports, you can find us based on that great distribution. We're pretty much everywhere. So if you would subscribe to us, that's how you'll get episodes even before I post them on Twitter, delivered to your inbox. And if you'd be kind enough to leave a five-star review, if you haven't already, that's how we can look attractive to potential advertisers and keep the business model working here at Lockdown Rockets as the most regular podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. Once again, the happy final from Toyota Center Thursday evening, Rockets 126, Lakers 111, Rockets win their second straight, improve to 13 and 14 on the season, Lakers fall to 17 and 11, James Harden 50 points, 11 assists, 10 rebounds, now an NBA record-setting fourth 50-point triple-double of his career. Salute to the real King James. I'm winking as I say that because, yes, LeBron is an all-time great. Take nothing away from him. He is a legend, but at least for one night, the best player named James on the basketball floor at Toyota Center was the reigning MVP, James Harden, of your Houston Rockets. So on that positive note, enjoy the rest of your evening, enjoy your weekend, and please come back soon for more episodes right here at Lockdown Rockets, your home for daily coverage of Houston Rockets basketball.